0: So today, we're ending our series on peace uh, and what that means to us as followers of Jesus. Uh, And we're going to be looking at what we are called to do with the knowledge of the peace that we have in Jesus. And hopefully, it will be useful in pulling together all the great talks that we've had so far in this series. So let's go straight into God's Word uh, and look at the passage that we have about peace today. So if you've got your Bible or your phone or your iPad, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's just verses 18 to 21. It will come up on the screen behind me. All this is from God We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Two important words jumped out to me from those passages. We are given the task of being both reconcilers and ambassadors for Jesus how does that sound to you did you know that if you are a follower of christ that you are tasked to be a reconciler and an ambassador what does it even mean can i suggest 3 points that could be applied from these passages that we are thinking about today firstly us and god us and others Family, friends, work colleagues, classmates, and then thirdly, us and the world. Our community here in Hailsham and further afield, like where we've just been in Africa or in Bulgaria, where Duncan quite often goes. So let's start with God and us and look at verses 18 and 19. The message Bible actually puts it really beautifully all this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other God put the world square with himself through the Messiah giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing see God makes peace with us By his grace. So let's unravel in it from all that we know so far. We know God loves us, we know he came for us, and we know that he died on the cross for us. And those who accept this truth receive his spirit, his seal, his stamp on our souls. It's like he's saying, You are mine. This one's mine. Amelia, you're mine. Amen. It's a promise we have in Scripture that when we stand before God, Jesus will say, This is my friend, and therefore yours too, Father. It's like he's saying, I've brought my friend, and my fr- friend knows the price that I've paid. I know my friend is acceptable to you because you, Father, gave me the work of reconciliation you see jesus was the greatest reconciler ever but what does reconciliation mean it means that former enemies become friends again so reconcilers are also peacemakers through jesus we are made friends again with god god's love and his mercy and his grace meet in this truly amazing, miraculous, indescribable act of reconciliation. And even more than every beautiful thing that could be said about what Jesus did in joining us back with God, is that he did it before we even knew we needed it. Remember, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are Christ's, bought for a price, bought through the cross, bought to God as his friend. Here, Jesus says, is my friend. But God doesn't leave it there. Oh, no. As Paul tells us in this letter, that because you are now new creations, and it says that if you look uh, if you're in your Bible, it says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new creation. Go then and become God's reconcilers. Go and tell others about me. God gives you the ministry of reconciliation. Wow, do you, do you hear that? Only God's friends have this unique an amazing ministry. And that's you. And it's me. It's not just Si and Duncan and Chris. It's all of us. And my second point. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We've got to go out and tell others. Paul was called to the ministry of reconciliation. God had called Paul to be a reconciler, to help reconcile persons to persons and people to God. And given the conflict that underlies the rest of this letter, Paul's ministry of reconciliation is particularly significant. He has called the Corinthians to forgive those who have caused them pain. If you go back into chapter 2... Between verses 5 and 11, it tells you all about that pain. In chapter 3, verse 9, it tells us about how he's been engaged in a service of righteousness amongst them. He has proclaimed Christ, Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. In chapter 4, verse 5. He's dealing directly with the problems in the Corinthian church. Not as a fault finder, though but as somebody who is reconciling them to each other. Verse 19 of our passage here restates and expands upon what is said in verse 18. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself this phrase makes it clear that God is the actor in this reconciliation drama. It also makes it clear that Christ is the agent through whom God accomplishes this reconciliation. And if you read on, the verse goes on to say, not counting their trespasses against them. We've all made mistakes or engaged in wrongdoing. And most of us, if we're honest, commit these trespasses on an almost daily basis. Married couples who have succeeded in keeping their marriages alive for a long time know the importance of not reckoning trespasses. If husbands and wives were to keep records of every trespass, the relationship would soon suffer such terrible damage that nothing could restore it. I was doing something at home the other day, and I made that fateful husband error. I actually questioned my wife, and she responded with just these few simple words to me. If you would just do as you were told in the first place, life would be so much easier for you. You all understand what I'm talking about, don't you? So all the husbands in this room, they have great empathy for me, don't they? Thank you. But you see, it's not all about us. God wants us to reconcile others. Now, in our life group, uh, we always take on board uh, what the elders tell us. No, I'm serious. And Si stood out the front at the beginning of the term and recommended this book to us. Uh, and in fact, at the uh, Leaders' Hub in, uh, in, in Lewis, this book had also been recommended to us. And amazingly enough, while that was being recommended to us on the Thursday morning, Lynn was ordering it off Amazon. Now, I don't, I don't believe in coincidence. I only believe in God-incidences. Amen. And this book is called How to Pray, and it's by a, a guy called Pete Greek. And uh, along with this book, uh, he is the guy that started the 24 7 prayer movement. And along with this book is uh, an eight week video series. And our life group, we're doing that uh, at the moment. And, but in here, I want to tell you this story. And it's about a great preacher called D.L. Moody. He died 15 years before the invention of traffic lights, so he would have understood this analogy. But he certainly knew all about waiting and persevering in prayer. In fact, he carried a list of 100 non-Christians for whom he prayed daily. Over the years, whenever one of them gave their lives to Christ, Moody... Would cross their name off the list so that by the time of his death, no longer than 96 of those 100 people had become followers of Jesus. What an amazing testimony that is to the power of perseverance. Even more remarkably, the remaining four surrendered their lives to Christ at his funeral. All 100 saved simply because of Moody's bloody-minded determination, his refusal to relent over weeks and months and years. Isn't that a challenge to us? Could you imagine if every one of us here in this room put together a list of a hundred people that we would want to be saved and tick them off one at a time? What's a hundred times two hundred? 20,000, I think we need a bigger church, don't you? But wouldn't it be marvellous? And you see, God models us the kind of behaviour that underlines reconciliation. He makes it a point not to count trespasses against people so that they might become holy. It's eligible to be reconciled to God that he's interested in, fit to be brought into God's holy presence as it goes on in verse 19, and entrusting to us, that's us, the message of reconciliation. And in verse 18, Paul said that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So here he's restating it, but with slightly different words. See, God has tasked each and every one of us to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers, Uh, And as Rob Williams shared, right at the very beginning of this part of the series on peace, when he quoted John Piper uh, explaining that wonderful Christmas verse, do you remember it from the Gospel of Luke? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is peace. Uh, He's pleased, rather. Luke 2, chapter 14. And John Piper said this, God's glory leads to our Peace. You see, we need to tell others about God's glory. Paul then goes on to say that we are also his ambassadors. Do you see in verse 20? God makes his appeal for others to be put right with him through us. So let me ask you a question. How did you get to be sitting here today? Which ambassador is to be charged with your reconciliation? Well, I can think of today the person that brought Lynn and I to faith, who was our reconciler. It's a friend of ours called Sue. By gum, she needed to be patient in her dealings with us, as we were a long, long way away from understanding our need of a saviour. But we were captivated by one thing that Sue had that we'd never seen before. She had an inner peace that was not dependent upon anything that was happening around her. And we were mesmerized with her. Sue was a living example of what Cy talked about last week when he reminded us that Jesus promised his disciples a peace that was unworldly. Jesus, by his Spirit, gives us a peace that is not, as Sai said, dependent upon the absence of stuff going on around you. It is the very presence of God. That's what we saw in Sue, and that's what we wanted. Don't ever forget that as followers of Christ, you are immensely attractive to unbelievers because you carry the Spirit of Jesus inside you. Lynn and I came to faith at this very same moment and were reconciled to God because Sue took her role as an ambassador and reconciler very seriously. Look at what's going to happen in a few moments. Ambassadors in this church have been about God's business of reconciliation. We are going to witness Amelia's baptism. Friends of God, are being made because the ministry of reconciliation has taken place. And when we go out of here, note that the means of that reconciliation is love. Never pressurize people. Rather, try to persuade them, as it tells us in chapter 5, verse 11. Because you love them. Implore them on Christ's behalf. You are Christ's representative. You see, Jesus always acted in love. And his ambassadors, as his ambassadors, you represent that love. see, reconciliation involves changing a relationship from bad to good. From enmity to friendship. And when used of nations, it involves establishing peace between nations that was previously at odds with one another. And so to my final point, us and the world. This week, as I said earlier, I went uh, to Nairobi with Sai and the rest of the team. The love that Sai has for the unreached people spread over the whole Horn and East of Africa is just a joy to, to see. They really do love him and appreciate what he's done for them. But the conference last week was opened by this pastor. It was amazing. Again, it was another God incident, but he started the conference preaching on this very passage about being ambassadors to God. Can you believe that? I'm, sorry. I'm getting a message. And he, saw, he talked about their church, a small home churches, house church, and things, being a disciple making movement. I thought, wow. I wonder where he got that from, because Simon Holly, who leads the catalyst sphere that went into, that's his vision for catalyst. Make disciples who make disciples. So whether it's here in the UK or over here in Africa, we're all doing the same. We're a disciple-making movement. And the thing that really struck me over the week was the testimonies that poured out. Uh, there was one session in particular that, where Cy was speaking, uh, and he made that fatal, fatal error of uh, he opened the floor to group. Has anybody got anything to say on what I've said? And hands were shooting up all over the place. And they all had stories to tell of how they'd been persecuted on how they'd been hurt. And the thing that struck me was that These people had given their lives to God. But when they went into a strange land, into a strange town, and went to go to a church, a Christian church, where they worshipped the same God that these people had dedicated their lives to, they were persecuted. And they were frisked to go into church. And they were hurting. When they were telling these stories to us, they were really hurting. And the thing that struck me was, How many of you in here this morning have been hurt by other people in churches? That's not our role. That is not our role as ambassadors for Christ that when people come into this building, to hurt them. So we need to think seriously about that. Duncan spoke to these people about the Father heart of God. You could feel the message getting through and into their hearts. Why did they need to hear it. Did they lap it up. It was just wonderful. There's so much hurt out there and yet there's so much joy and it was just a pleasure to see real, real faith in action. But that team from little old Hailsham here in East Sussex in Britain had gone 4,000 258 miles to be ambassadors for Christ. And because of the love in their hearts and God's spirit that was shared with them, they just lapped it up. And it's the same with you and me. When we share our testimonies with people, they just love to hear it. But let me return to this book. In one of the videos that goes with the book, he tells of this story about he has a friend called Marcus Legal. As you can tell by his name, he lives in Germany, not in England. And in fact, he lived in the old East Germany when the wall was still up. And this story leads to what the press called the miracle of Leipzig. You see, there was a pastor in Leipzig, a guy called Pastor Wonberger, and he organized... And Pete's friend, Marcel, went along every Monday night to a prayer meeting at St. Nicholas's Church in Leipzig. And Christians messed to pray against communism and the reunification of Germany. And this prayer movement grew and grew and grew. And it grew so it was so powerful that on the 9th of October in 1989, a rally was held in Leipzig, It was to be a candlelight vigil of peace. It became known as the miracle of Leipzig because what started off in this church became 70,000 plus people in the town square of Leipzig praying to God that the wall would come down. And it was this that was credited as being the momentum that led to the wall being pulled down. Exactly, one month later, because on the 9th of November, 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, and the Cold War between East and West was brought to a halt. In 1990, the Nobel Prize Committee gave President Gorbachev the main credit for this by awarding him the Peace Prize. They said he brought the Cold War to a peaceful end. But God's people know different. Praying together for peace and reconciliation is so, so powerful. That's why here in this church, we really focus on prayer. And bearing in mind that we need to recognize what we are and that he's giving us the application of how we are to do what he wants us to do. We are to do it has been his ambassadors to the whole world and we have an urgent message that we need to proclaim. Again, the message put uh, verses 20 and 21 so succinctly. We're Christ's representatives. God gives us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend of you how you ask in christ god puts the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with god we are all christ's ambassador ambassadors paul as an ambassador of christ seeks to persuade people about the truth of the gospel have you ever met a real life ambassador well, at our previous church in Eastbourne, uh, we actually had a retired ambassador. I came to know him quite well as he happened to join the same choir that I used to sing in. Uh, and in fact, because he was a fellow bass, he used to sit next to me in rehearsals. And he always impressed me uh, with his tales of where he'd been and what he'd done. See, ambassadors are clearly chosen very, very carefully. And they're trained in the art of Diplomacy. They're skilled at representing their country, both how they act and by what they say. We are to be the same. As Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors, chosen by God. And we have an amazing task that we have to do. It doesn't matter what worldly status we have whether we're appointed by the Queen to be an ambassador, or it's just we're a lowly member of Christchurch, Hailsham. We are all equal in God's eyes. So as I close, let me recount this story from Pete Gage's book. It's about a nation whose obedience to a king's request and about the miracle that followed. The Second World War was entering its darkest and most dangerous chapter. The Allied forces were trapped by the advancing Nazi, Nazi forces with their backs to the sea at Dunkirk. The German high command had announced that its troops were proceeding to annihilate the British Army. Winston Churchill was preparing to admit an unprecedented military catastrophe, and Allied generals were secretly anticipating the loss of a third of a million soldiers. In utter despair, King George VI took to the airways on the 23rd of May, 1940, calling the people of Great Britain to a national day of prayer the following Sunday, the 26th of May. Old black and white photographs show sombre crowds that Sunday, queuing to get into cathedrals, churches and chapels. An entire nation united in seeking God for national deliverance. It was the very next day that the famous flotilla of some 860 vessels, mostly civilian craft, set out across the English Channel in a desperate, ramshackle attempt to rescue besieged Allied soldiers. Churchill hoped that as many as 30,000 men, 10% of the beleaguered army, might be rescued. By the time the ships reached France, they were highly vulnerable to aerial attack. So too was the Allied army, amassed like a sitting target on the beach at Dunkirk. But seasonal storms blew up, battering the European mainland so violently that the Luftwaffe in that region was grounded, unable to attack. Meanwhile, Hitler had inexplicably ordered his ground forces to halt. For three days, they didn't move. His generals were furious and military historians, to this day, are still baffled by this clear tactical error. And so, with the Luftwaffe grounded by an unexpected storm and the German army restrained by its own commander, the Dunkirk evacuations were allowed to proceed, largely undisturbed, until the Luftwaffe resumed their attacks on the 29th of May. On the Wednesday, Three days after the National Day of Prayer, an extraordinary calm descended upon the English Channel, in stark contrast to the storms of the previous day. Precisely the benign conditions that the overloaded boats now needed as they sailed precariously back to England. By the time that the German army finally renewed its attack, over 338,000 men had been rescued. Amen. That's the power of a nation coming together in prayer. Can I invite the band up? You see, the whole of this term, sermon series, is summed up in one small verse from the New Testament book of the letter of Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 12:14, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. This is our task, our work set by the Lord for us to do for him. And we do it by being peacemakers here on earth, reconciling ourselves to God, reconciling others we know with God and reconciling the whole world with God. If you are here today and want to make your peace with God, then please come and speak with either me, Si or Rob. We'd love to pray for you. But don't leave here today without getting that sorted. There's somebody here today that I didn't know was going to be here this morning. And it's her birthday today. 17 years ago today, on her 21st birthday, I've given her away her age now, haven't I? She did exactly what you're going to do, Amelia. She was baptized. She gave her life to Jesus. My other daughter that's here today, she's done exactly the same. And mum and dad, I just pray for you that you have the peace and the joy that Lynn and I have shared when your daughter is baptised and gives her life to Jesus today. Shall we pray? Lord, help us to be good ambassadors for Christ. When we come across hatred, let us show your love. When we come across people who are hurt, Lord, help us to pray for healing and to bring it upon them. And if they're doubting whether you exist or not, help us by the example of our testimony to give them faith. That they understand that they are loved beyond measure. And that they need we need to share that love that you have for us with them. Lord, help us to live a life of loves. May your love, Jesus, compel us in everything we do. And all God's people said, Amen.